Hey, Cara. Hey, how are you? Good. How about you? Doing pretty well. Good, good. Thanks for joining again. Yeah. Appreciate it. How are you doing? How's everything going for you? It's going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how about you? How was your semester? Oh, man. Um, uh, pretty pretty interesting. Um, adventurous, to say the least. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Where- first semester. I'm just happy it's, we got it done and we did it. Yeah, exactly. That's all that matters. Um, but I appreciate you for joining um, the podcast today and um, just, you know, joining in on the conversation. Um, it's very important. So um, I'm very excited that you decided to come on board and, yeah. and talk to us for a little bit. Sounds good. Yes. So um, just first, I just wanted to have you just introduce yourself, um, who you are, what you do, your experience, um, and then how what led you to the Miami Center. Mm-hmm. So, so I just said, hi, my name is Kara Strauss. I'm glad to be here with you today. Um, I am a citizen of the Miami tribe of Oklahoma, and my job title is director of Miami tribe relations at the Miami Center. And so what that really means is that I am responsible for strengthening the relationship between the Miami tribe of Oklahoma and Miami University. Mm. Mm. That, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you just talk a little bit more about um, the Miami Center? And I don't know if you are familiar with how it started or not, um, or if you've been here from the start to now, um, but if you can just kind of give some more background on that. Yeah, no, I definitely haven't been here from the start, but I I actually, if if you'll allow me, want to go back even farther than the start of the Miami Center and start with the relationship between Miami Tribe and um, Miami University, which is actually almost 50 years old. Mm. And so that relationship started in 1972. And that was when the chief of the Miami Tribe at the time, his name was Chief Forrest Olds, he came to Miami University. Um, He just happened to be in Cincinnati for a completely separate reason and had always heard that this university. Um, I think they say this university out east, you know, it it had um, carried our tribal name. And Mm -hmm. so he actually, he came to the university unexpectedly um, and went Mm -hmm. to the president's office. And I always like to imagine what it was like (laughs) when he just, you know, shows up unexpectedly and introduces himself as the chief of the Miami tribe. I'm Mm -hmm. sure they had no idea what to do with him. Um, <laughs> and the president, um, President Shriver was out that day. And so they actually, they um, have some other folks who, you know, take him on a tour, take him actually to football practice. Um, and so that was really the start of this relationship. And, and what that meant for a while, really several decades, was individual people at the tribe creating relationships with folks at Miami University. So Chief Forrest Olds, he dies a couple years later, and um, Floyd Leonard is elected as chief. Um, And he was chief for almost 30 years. And so he was really able to build some lasting relationships, you know, with the president, with alumni Mm -hmm. office, 
with athletics. He would do class visits, lots of education. And his goal was really to educate the Miami University community about the Miami tribe as a contemporary tribal nation. Um, and so, you know, for a while that, that continues on um, and really until the 90s, so for almost two decades, um, before he kind of reaches out to, to the Miami University community um, and asks, you know, hey, can we do some education for Miami people as well? Um, and they, they say yes. And so our first three Miamia students arrived at Miami University in 1991. Um, mm -hmm. So that population has continued to grow since that time. Um, and so today we have 30 Miamia students who are enrolled at Miami. We have 95 graduates of this program. Um, so, you know, we're now 30 years into having Miamia students come here, which is which is amazing. And they are our best ambassadors for teaching, you know, about the Miami mm -hmm. tribe. But, you know, in that same that same timeline, um, Miami University or sorry, the Miami tribe is starting a process of what we today call a mamwachike or awakening, really looking at the revitalization of Miamia language and culture. Mm -hmm. It's necessary because our, our language and culture really went through a period of decline because of our history of, of two forced removals. So our, our homelands are here in the Midwest, um, including what is today Oxford, Ohio, where Miami University is located. Um, our first removal happened in 1846. Um, Miami people were forcibly relocated to what is what is today Kansas. Um, and then about a generation later, when Kansas becomes a state, it happens again, and we are removed to Indian Territory, which eventually becomes the state of Oklahoma. So that's why our tribe is, is in Oklahoma. But this history of forced removals, other practices of forced assimilation, really led to a decline of language and culture. And so it wasn't really until the late 80s, early 90s, that the tribe is able to engage in a process of language and cultural revitalization. But that's really hard to do in Oklahoma. There's just not that many resources. The tribe didn't have the ability to do the intensive research that was necessary. And so they turn to their friends at Miami University and say, hey, would you be willing to support this um, primarily by allowing um, us to have somebody who comes to Miami University who's focused on language revitalization. And, and so that happened in, in 2001. Um, Daryl Baldwin becomes the director of what was then the Miamia Project. It was a temporary um, a approval of this process. So he shows up on campus um, and is really just looking to do whatever the the Miami tribe community needs, which at that point was doing some linguistic work um, along with others so that that information could be put into educational materials for the tribe. Mm. So he continues that work for quite a while um, and it just kind of organically grows. Um, so after the initial three-year process, I, I don't think that there was actually ever a formal review. There was just kind of an acknowledgement on both sides that there's something here. This is interesting, and it seems to be working, and so it continues for a while. 
Um, they hire a few more people. Um, and it isn't until 2013 that the Miamia Project becomes the Miamia Center. And so what that means from kind of an institutional piece is that it becomes much more permanent. Um, a center on a campus, it, you know, it's a, per a permanent thing. There's research and, and goals that come out of that. The thing that's very different about the Miamia Center is that we are focused on the needs of the Miami tribe of Oklahoma, not necessarily Miami University. And that's very different than all other centers at Miami, but really across the across the country, um, we don't know of anything else that's that's like this. And so part of that is because a good chunk of our funding comes from the tribe. So we're able to spend our time and our focus on the needs of the tribe. And so, you know, our our focus that initially began with language revitalization now includes cultural revitalization as well. So, you know, looking at all sorts of cultural practices um, in addition to, to language. And so today we have, I believe, six full-time and seven part-time staff. Um, and then obviously these 30 Miamia students who are on campus. And so we have quite the, the community of people here on campus who are focused on language and, and cultural revitalization for the tribe. And, and, you know, that's now become pretty well established. We are well known within the United States as well as actually internationally. Much of that because our director, Daryl Baldwin, actually won, won a MacArthur Fellowship in 2016. Um, that really kind of catapulted him and our work in general into the spotlight um, in a lot of ways. And so we continue to do that work. We now are trying to share that with other tribal nations. And then, you know, we do feel that we have a responsibility to share this with Miami University as well. So, you know, things like being on this podcast, but also doing right. class visits or working on projects with mm -hmm. folks, research with um, faculty across campus. So we have a variety of ways that we engage with the Miami University community. Yeah, no, that's, that's very beneficial. And like, I like the fact that it is focused, you know, in like Oklahoma and the Oklahoma tribe and stuff like that is, I feel like that's very important versus like, I guess, centering it, you know, on the, on the campus. Like, of course, like there's educational needs, but like being able to connect with them is like very important. Mm -hmm. So I like that you have that aspect which is very important now do you think like I know you mentioned what was it 91 you said there mm -hmm. was three um students I feel correct me if I'm wrong but even today it still feels like uh mm -hmm. like it's growing but it still feels it still feels like there's <laughs> like we need more especially because I mean you know these this land was built on you know the backs of people that backs of people of color and stuff. So I don't know. It's really yeah. interesting to me to you know. No, I think it's an interesting thing to think about because one of the things that we actually find really beneficial, and and today looking back, we're able to kind of see that from the start of the Miami project in two thousand one until it became a center in two thousand thirteen, that work was really under the radar. But that was really useful for us. <laughs> you know, I wasn't here at that time, but in talking to folks who were, they were just able to do the work of the tribe 
and not really be bothered by a lot of other things, not get pulled into, you know, anything else that was going on at the institution, just really focusing on doing the work that needed to be done for our community. And that's really, really important. And I think had they been distracted by larger things that were happening on the campus, they probably would not have been able to do the work that needed to be done. That being said, we now feel like we are much better positioned to now pivot and think about how we incorporate this into Miami University. And so, you know, when President Crawford came in in 2016, and then now we have a new provost with Provost Osborne, they are very interested in this and asking some of those same questions that you're asking of why is this yeah. not more integrated into this campus? And and part of our answer is that, um, you know, for us as staff, our focus is entirely on our Miamia community. So we just haven't had the time to really do a lot within the Miami University community, but that is, that's changing. And so we are actually moving forward with creating some institutionalized ways of kind of putting this into the larger Miami University community. And that, um, you know, takes a little bit of time. And so I would say we're working through that process, but we do feel like we have a lot of support from from the university. Um, And I think that um, probably before, but especially during 2022, which will be the year that we celebrate the 50th anniversary of this relationship, that there's gonna be several new initiatives that come out that are focused on um, incorporating this, especially into the curriculum, just because that's a place where it's mm-hmm. definitely missing. Um, also yeah. co-curricular, yes. co-curricularly, I don't even know if I'm saying that. <laughs> right. Um, but, well, you know, it'll be incorporated into other aspects of the university as well. And so, um, you know, I don't think I officially have the ability to announce kind of what some of those things are, but we're working on them. And so, I think that that, that will do a lot um, for this. And then the other thing that my office specifically is trying to do is, is create relationships with other divisions around campus. And so we've started this a lot in athletics where they are using the Miami Heritage logo, which is a logo that was created in 2017 that really visually represents the relationship. And so they have started using it on alternate uniforms. Um, and then those teams that wear those uniforms, we do education with each one of them. So we've kind of created this um, model maybe of how we kind of can create relationships across campus. And so we're trying to now do that in a variety of ways. And really the goal there is that when a student comes to Miami University, that they they learn something <laughs> At a minimum, they know that there is a relationship with tribal nation Mm -hmm. and this university. And the way that we're going to do that is if they start seeing it in all different areas of their experience, right? Mm -hmm. I can go to a class presentation and a student can listen to it and, and it might go in one ear and out the other. But if they go to a basketball game and they see it and then they go to their residence yep. hall and there's a bulletin board where they see it and then they meet a Miami student maybe in one of their classes that they start to kind of see that this is incorporated into the entire university and it's not a mm-hmm. separate thing. 
Um, and so that's our, our goal. And I would just say it's kind of slowly building its way up. Um, so, you know, there, there are some ways that other folks can, can help with that. And that's just engaging with the Miami Center, our, our web pages, the Miami, the Miami Center webpage and the Miami Tribe Relations webpage have tons of information, tons of, um, resources, um, you know, we just we had an exhibit at the art museum last semester that now has a, um, a virtual component to it. Um, so there's lots of ways that folks can learn more about this and engage with it, add it to their classes. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the piece that I think will continue to grow over time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's super helpful. And also, like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like, because I don't feel like it's solely based on, you know, the um, like you all's office. Um, I do feel like it's it's a group effort among the university as well to like so far as like with recruitment efforts and stuff. Um, but like you know, from admission and like other um, department or functional areas on campus, like what do you say that it is like? It is a group effort as well. Um, yeah, definitely. And so I would say, you know, there there's a bit of a struggle for me internally, I think for most of us at the Miami Center, yeah. in that it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword, right? In that it definitely is a group effort. Like any any yeah. my, minoritized group cannot be responsible solely for, for doing all of the education. That's right. not, it just can't. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, we are very concerned that the information be presented correctly and accurately. Right. And that piece, is hard. And I think we're still figuring out how to do that, how to make sure that other people yeah. can help in this, but that our voices don't get lost. Um, and so we yeah. are, we're working through that. I think one of the biggest ways that that can happen is we are very focused on building relationships with people. And Obviously, we can't build a relationship with every person at the university, right? But especially at these divisional levels, that you can start to better understand who we are, how we do things, what our perspective is, if you take the time to build that relationship. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of ways of, of doing that, but that's what we're trying to do across campus. And, and I think understanding that if you're gonna come, come to us and ask for something new, a new project, collaborate on something right. especially, that we want to do as much of that as we can, but that we want to do it in the right way. And that sometimes that takes right. time. Um, that, you know, when somebody comes to us and says, I have this great new idea and I wanna do it and I wanna do it right now, that that's probably not gonna fit within the type of work that we do. But if we say, hey, I'm interested in, in working together, we take a year to get to know each other, to learn about, you know, each other's work, that what will come out of that at the end of the day is going to be so much stronger and much more applicable to the work of both sides. And so that's where we have found the best um, outcomes across campus, have, you know, what that has looked like. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then we're also trying to create ways for people to have kind of a, a lower level of engagement. So, you know, making sure that that communications offices know, you know how to get information mm -hmm. out and and we're kind of trying to work on those pieces as well. And so, you know, there's 
there's a lot to be done still. <laughs> and yeah. we want to build as many oh, yeah. of those relationships across campus as we possibly can. Yeah. It's like a, a hard, like it's a hard balance, it seems like, because you want the voices, but we still need yeah. like campus partners and campus leaders as well. Like we need Absolutely. to focus on that pretty much. So I totally, I totally understand what you mean by that. Um, so I know you mentioned earlier that there are resources um, that are on the page, but what are some like resources that are available for um, the indig- indigenous community that um, are present on Miami's campus? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I've mentioned in the past that our work is solely focused on the Miami tribe of Oklahoma. And so um, mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of answer this in, in two ways. One is... For our Miamia students who come here, they come as part of the Miamia Heritage Program, which is a four-year program. The students receive a tuition waiver to come. And so, you know, we're essentially enticing Miamia students to come to Miami University, right? And a lot of them probably wouldn't come here, to be completely honest, without this program. And so the Miamia Center feels really responsible that we then must do everything that we can to make sure that they have the ability to be as successful as they possibly can. So that happens in a variety of ways. Um, I am the person who works primarily with our students outside of the classroom. And so I do some pretty intensive Mm -hmm. advising with them. I meet with them all at least once a semester, if not more. Um, But then the other portion is that um, as part of their award, they take a series of courses together. And um, so George Ironstrack, who works in our office is the main instructor. And then lots of the other folks at the center kind of help instruct in a variety of ways. And so we have a cycle of classes that students take in their first three years. So for example, this year we're in contemporary topics and sovereignty. And then next year will be ecological perspectives and history. And then the following year, language and culture. So a student just comes into that cycle, just whatever we're teaching that year, they come in and all of our students take it together. So community building is a huge part of this whole process. They're all in class together. We do out-of-class activities, those types of things. Um, And so our students are really learning about their Miamia history, language, culture, value system. Um, And so the opportunity to come here doesn't just mean that you get a good education, which you obviously do, um, but also that you have this opportunity to learn about who you are as a Miamia person, which is very unique. Lots of other universities have indigenous studies programs where you can take courses and and those types of things, but it is very rare to be able to learn about your own identity in such an intensive way with other people who share that identity. Um, And so our students, you know, they tell us when they leave Miami University, they have a better understanding of what it means to be a Miami person and also that they want to give back to our tribal community because of this opportunity that was afforded to them. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really a unique opportunity that our students, students are taking advantage of. Yeah. The second half of, of your question is, I would just answer for other indigenous students. We try to act mostly as 
hosts for those students. So within a within an indigenous context, um, if you go to um, land that is not your own, those indigenous people kind of have a responsibility to to welcome you in and to host you. Um, and so that's how we kind of mm -hmm. see that responsibility is is trying to, you know, provide that welcome to folks. But we're also we just don't have the time and resources to support every native student on campus to the same extent that we do our Miami students. But there are other opportunities like the Native American Student Association, um, which I advise, where those students can get together and, and have um, community across campus. Um, one of the struggles there is that honestly, our Miamia community dwarfs the rest of the Native community on this campus. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we try to be really intentional about engaging with other Native students, making sure that they feel welcome and like it's not always Miamia 100% of the time, it it can be hard right. um, just because the numbers are, you know, that that's just the case that we have a pretty small native community outside of, of the Miamia community. And I know that admissions is interested in, in helping to change that. Um, I think that there's going to have to be some yeah. really intentional work that happens um, around bringing native, native students who are not Miamia to this campus. Yeah. No, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, this is so interesting. So, so much. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it really is. No, like when you think about, when you think about microaggressions, right? And um, mm -hmm. things like spirit animals and like the whole phrase of like, oh, bride tribe or, you know, using, um, that word in you know different contexts and Eskimo and Swa, like all of these offensive terms that are offensive towards the Native mm -hmm. American and in the indigenous community. So, like, what do you think? And I feel like that's probably been done with the mm -hmm. educational courses that you were talking about. But like, how do you see this as far as like education, um, educational, like educating people like on these microaggressions? Yeah, um, on campus. So I think the the issue is, and, and, the, and this is true, I'm sure, of all microaggressions, that yeah. there's a larger historical context that it all fits inside of, right? Mm -hmm. And here yeah. in yep. Ohio, especially, um, the context that people are coming from is that there are no federally recognized tribes here. Um, we were all removed. And so, you know, the, the majority of, of our Miami population comes from Ohio. They grew up in this context where they probably did not interact with Native people very often. So what, what mm -hmm. did they learn about Native American culture? And, you know, in, maybe in air quotes, um, because, you know, that just mm -hmm. doesn't even exist, mm -hmm. right? There are individual tribes that each have their own context. But in America, that gets collapsed into a Native American understanding that is rooted entirely in history. Native Americans are a part of history. Mm -hmm. They are not contemporary peoples. Right. And so mm -hmm. in that absence of an actual human being, what gets filled in? 
And here, what has gotten filled in is stereotypes, mascots, yes. um, these terms that get yes. that get used. And so I think it's hard for people to understand why it would be bad because it's not really affecting anybody yeah. in their eyes, right? There's not, there's not a human being on the other side of it. And so I think to me, the, the biggest thing is teaching people about tribes as contemporary people. Mm -hmm. We often use the phrase um, that we are a people with a past, not a people from the past. And so this idea that I, I think the education just has to be larger, right? I could, I could ask people not to do a lot of things, but I don't think that it's really going to take root until we address that larger context. And, and truthfully, I think that has to happen starting in the K-12 education system. Um, but we, we have more control, obviously, over um, the work that happens at Miami University. And so there are, um, you know, there are some courses. Um, one of our colleagues, Cam Shriver, teaches a course, IDS 259 or History 259. That's a history of the Miami tribe class. Um, and I think that he just does a great job of, even though it's a history course, and of course you're going to learn the history side of it, bringing all of us from the center in to help people understand that that contemporary contextual piece of it as well. Um, and so with all of the education that we do across campus, that's always going to be the focus. We have to understand our history yeah. and we will tell you our history because you need to know that in order to understand where you come from and, and who you are today. But our our main goal is to keep focusing on who we are as a people today because that's mm -hmm. going to be important for us in the future as well as we think about, you know, the continuance of our nation and, and sovereignty. Um, and, and so all of those pieces are just are really important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's important for us to just like, make sure we're educating ourselves and, you know, educating ourselves on these different terms. And it's like, it's nothing yeah. to just look at <laughs> like offensive terms, you know, <laughs> to racialize, you know, marginalized people. So it's like, it's just the fact of like putting in the effort to do that and realizing that because not many people understand or realize like, the reason why we're here, you know, um, it started from, you know, the people of color and people like the indigenous yeah. um, community. Other, yeah, other I think it, it's, it can be really difficult, right? Because we are surrounded by all of this. Like, mm -hmm. it's hard to even, yep. like, overstate how, if you just look around, mm -hmm. how much you will see Native American imagery, <laughs> Um, it's just, it's literally yes. everywhere. And so if you've grown up with that being the case, like, so real. why would you ever think it's wrong, right? That's just normal. And right. so, you know, right. the first right. step is just questioning, like, why is this? <laughs> and then you can start to, to yeah. do the, the work, right? It's needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unpack it. Yeah. No, that's so fair. So fair. Um, even just like going off of that so like we know like Miami like we changed our oh at first we were like yep. the Redskins and now we're the Red Hawks but sometimes like I think about like is that <laughs> that red like should that all be 
you know, changed as well because yeah, we change, you know, partial of it, but I don't I don't know if it's all of it. I don't know if you have any thoughts yeah, on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So, I I know a little bit of the history of um so yeah. One of the important things to recognize is is why did Miami change? Um, and Miami changed yeah. their mascot because in 1996, the Miami tribe of Oklahoma passed a resolution asking Miami University to change change their mascot. And at the very next Board of mm-hmm. Trustees meeting, so the, the resolution was signed in July and the Board of Trustees met in September and voted at that meeting to change the mascot. If you think about the context, you know, this is very current, right? If we think about the Washington football team, if we think right. about the Cleveland baseball team, right. people asking yes. for this change for generations. <laughs> and it's, it hasn't happened mm-hmm. until now. Thank, thank goodness it is happening. And I think that is because of a racial consciousness that's happening throughout the country. It's Honestly, you know, we need to give right. credit where credit is due. And the Black Lives Matter movement has had a big impact mm-hmm. on cultural consciousness across this country. But it says mm-hmm. a lot that when a tribal nation asked Miami University to change, that they did. And they did immediately. And from the Miami tribe's mm-hmm. perspective, um, that was a recognition of their sovereignty and really a respect of this relationship that had been built up till that point, right? So so the change didn't happen yeah. until 1996. That was 25 years into this ongoing relationship, right? So I think mm-hmm. that is an important piece to acknowledge. And then what happened with the change and picking a new mascot is that they kind of, they opened it up to people for suggestions. And I think they, they got like, 500 or 700, something like that, suggestions. The reason they, they ended up with the Red Hawks is because it's it's really the Red-Tailed Hawks, which is just too long a name, I think. So we're in into Red Hawks. Okay. And, you know, they are – it is a bird that is um, native both here and in Oklahoma. So I think they still wanted to respect that relationship with the tribe. Um. They are a powerful predator. So just from the mascot side of things, I don't know that I think that people have any sort of like equate the Red Hawks with the Redskins. Maybe I'm wrong with that. Um, I think, you know, there was a lot of work that needed to happen between the change in 1996 and honestly, you know, the last – Indian head logo came down off the football field just a couple years ago. I think that to me was a bigger mm-hmm. issue than mm-hmm. the Red Hawks was the fact that it, it lingered for a while, mm-hmm. that you would still see yeah. this Indian head oh, yeah. places that for quite a while, you could still buy unauthorized merchandise. Um, and Miami has cracked down on that. Like, Athletics has been a great mm-hmm. partner in making sure that it is completely gone from all of their facilities. Um, University communications and marketing has been great about truly, honestly, like threatening to sue people if they continue to use this, the Indian head logo trademark. So I think we've built up those partners, yeah. but 
it takes a long time for these pieces to fully leave consciousness. And so I think we just have, we have more work to do, right? That like for a lot of people, we've come a long way. And I think our current students, I don't know if you read, there was just a piece that came out in the Washington Post last week about Miami University and the change. And they interviewed a current student who was just like, yeah, we don't even think about it anymore. It's like, not a, it's not a thing, right? Like when I see the old alumni who have it on, I think like, yeah, you know, you're just like a cute old person who doesn't know any better. And and so I think, you know, that, that to me is a good sign, but it's going to take probably a whole nother generation now that we've like eradicated this image from campus fully get to a point where now like today's students, their children, you know what I mean? will not have an idea. Cause honestly, that's where a lot of this Mm. comes from is alumni who were here during the Redskins era. And then they have families, right. Who like grew up with that as, as an image. Um, and so I think we know it will take time, but, um, I think we're we're doing the work, we're putting the work in. And honestly, if you can't recognize that this relationship is so much stronger today than it ever was in the past, I'm not going to change your mind. And that's yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not going to change everybody's mind, but but our goal is to reach everyone we can to make sure that they understand about this relationship and, and can can understand it at least at a, a base level. Some progress, yeah. It's better, yeah. Some progress, <laughs> it's better than no progress. So we get there. <laughs> so that's really that's really good to know. Um, far as like upcoming programmings for spring semester, um, are there any? Is there anything like put in place right now? You know, I don't know um, that we have any um, set plans in the spring semester. Um, we tend to do. Um, okay. You know, a lot of, you know, we visit residence halls. So that's, that's one thing that we do. Um, yep. We have worked with um, Student Life, like Late Night Miami. We did a, a project last semester. Um, so I would imagine those things kind of continual, continually pop up. So really the best thing to do would probably yeah. be to follow us on social media. So the Miamia Center has a Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that. <laughs> um and that's where we will post about about ways that that people can can learn more. And then we are already thinking about 2022. And so for students who will still be here, then that year is going to be like chock full of of presentations and events and and things that are happening all around campus to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the relationship. And so um, if students are still going to be here, that time I think is going to be like, it's just going to be so much fun. It's going to be a celebration. Um, Like I said, there's going to be these new initiatives that are announced. And so we're really, we're looking forward to that and already starting the planning. And so 2021 is going to be kind of a ramp up to that. Um, So I think there will be things that that get planned. We just don't have any dates right now. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's totally fair. Thank you for that. Now, I know earlier you mentioned um, the trip to Oklahoma um, for a bit. When does that yep. usually occur? Um, so, is that um, next semester? the Miami Tribe has several um, events throughout the year. And this one is specifically our winter gathering. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's always the last Saturday in January. Okay. Um, and so what that event is, is really just an opportunity for our Miamia community to come together to be a community. And so what that means for us is, um, yeah. you know, we do storytelling. So we have stories either directly preceding or during the semester. And so we're able to take um, a whole busload of Miamia students, but also Miami University students, faculty and staff on that trip. And I think what people mm -hmm. realize is that it's really hard to understand another culture until you step in it. And that's a really great opportunity yep. for people yeah. to actually be fully immersed, even if just for a weekend in Miamia culture. And so it's just, it's a really great opportunity. Um, we do typically take some residence life folks, um, a couple of the, the um, RDs and central staff have gone before. Um, and then, you know, students, usually we take students who are kind of involved with us in some way. Um, working on projects or those types of things. So that's a it's an awesome opportunity for people to go with us and really experience um, one of our community gatherings. And it's my favorite gathering of the year. I think it's just it's super fun. Um, it's exhausting, but <laughs> but in the best possible way. Um, and and so unfortunately yeah. we're not we're not having um a physical gathering in 2021 but again right. the the gathering in 2022 is going to be the kickoff of the year of celebration in 2022 and so i'm already like looking forward to to that because we you know covid has affected our community as well i haven't i haven't been to oklahoma mm -hmm. since january um, at our last winter gathering. And so, you know, that's, it's very rare that we're not there um, several times a year. And so um, we are looking forward to being back together as a community as well. And so that, that gathering, especially, I think is going to be um, just a wonderful time for our community to celebrate being together again. Mm hmm yeah. Yeah. I, hopefully I, I want to come to January. Yeah. Hopefully COVID allows. Yeah, um, absolutely. Things will be better in January 22. Let us pray. Exactly. I know it's, we're still being a pandemic, but you know, <laughs> but at least if we can get some sort of yeah. little normalcy yeah. and travel and be okay, <laughs> that will be perfect. Um, and then lastly, so just like a call to action, um, far as what do you think so so often I feel like we always like problematize mm -hmm. the marginalized underrepresented communities um you yeah. know at just like within institutions within America um period so what do you think as you know student affairs professionals and like, yeah. what can we do to support the indigenous community um not just the center but just you know our sure. community like the different functional areas <laughs> America. That's all right. I know that's a big no, I think, question. Um, <laughs> I think it wasn't until I went to college that I realized the challenges that face Native students. And it, it can be really hard because it's such a wide variety of challenges. So the challenges might be that you have a student from a remote reservation and coming to your university is like 
studying abroad almost like it's completely different or you might have a student who comes from an urban Indian um, experience who has been cut off from their community in a lot of ways and is trying to reconnect and have a better understanding of their identity and so there's just there's a wide variety of challenges to supporting indigenous students and I think the important thing is recognizing that and then doing the work to understand like what it what it means to even just be indigenous um to be an indigenous person going to university and there you know there's great um there's great work out there i mean brian braboy is like you know a wonderful academic who's put out such great pieces around um indigenous identity development Um, There's lots of um, Indigenous women who are doing great work. Um, So mostly I would just say, you know, the same thing that we're we're told over and over again, right, is to to do the work of educating ourselves and then put that into practice. And so I think just stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit maybe and, and incorporating Indigenous pieces into your your um, academic pursuit. Um, and then, you know, reaching out to the Indigenous community at, at your university and, and asking them what they need, right? Because I think so often as student affairs professionals, we're quick to, to plan programs and interventions based on what we think a community needs instead of going to that community and asking what they need. Um, and so I think, especially when it's a community that is entirely different from your own and you maybe don't understand the cultural context, um, I think it's important to, to constantly go back to that community and make sure that what you're doing is, is really meeting their needs. Um, and so, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I think, one of the things that we're best at at the Miamia Center is constantly being focused on our community. And we, you know, we are members of that community and it can still be hard that I don't want to assume that my experience is the same as everybody else's in my tribe. And so it's it's going back to folks in Oklahoma around the country and making sure that what we're doing works. And if it doesn't, you know, set it aside. Like our, our egos don't need to get in the way. Um, and so that is, that's the piece that I always mention to people. And then the final thing I would, I would say is we have a really unique relationship here between a tribal nation and a university. And I hope that others start building that, but it takes time. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work. And so being willing to be a little bit patient to put in the work that's necessary um, and not expecting it to happen overnight. Um, That's such an important piece with all communities, but especially within the indigenous community of just building trust and doing relationship building. Um, And so that is a piece I would suggest kind of more at the institutional level rather than the individual practitioner level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. I appreciate this, Cara. We appreciate it. Um, this is very helpful. Um, and I'll definitely probably, you know, hit you up again soon in the future. Like doing another another round two or so. Um, and yeah, and just getting more programs, um, efforts in the residence halls as well too. So 
yeah, this is helpful. Of Thank course. You. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and, and good luck with the rest of your experience. I don't know yes. if you know, I graduated from Sahi <laughs> in 2016. Yep. So I, I feel your pain. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing. It's so many Sahi grads. It's like, wow. Yep, yep. That's amazing. The network. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much again. Bye -bye. Have a good holiday season.